Three, we bring our veriness to this community. We see each other and we let ourselves be seen. So I'm gonna unpack those a little bit for you in just a minute, but next we have our nurture mission. And I would say that is what do we want to do? We want to intentionally pursue growth and health in our relationships with God, with ourselves, and with others. And again, I'm gonna talk a little bit more about that. Um, and then our nurture method is answering the question, how? How will we do that? We have a number of different ways. One is our packet um, and what, if you do attend Creekside, which is definitely not something that all of you do, but if you are here on Sunday mornings, you hear a lot about our gospel communities and we have sacred and social spaces within those communities. This I would call our sacred space amongst our tables where we have time for intentional conversations where we're pushing to go a little deeper. We have like daily reading and journaling, memorizing of scripture. Um, we're gonna monthly pause um, for an anchor and apply section where we pause from the reading of the actual text we're going through and we take a week to actually look a little deeper into um, not just studying scripture and God, but like knowing him, meeting with him, having a relationship with him, praying, meditating, worshiping, um, reflecting, those kinds of things. Um, and then also that anchor and apply section will be a little bit more of an applicable week where um, the content that week, you'll hear again a little bit more, but um, looks a little bit more like how do we do this? Um, and then we have social spaces. We have a lot of social spaces. One, in our big group, we're going to have a lot of opportunity to meet and do fun things, even here on Thursday mornings, like favorite things, which you'll hear about. Um, but then we have nurture nights and we have park days. Those are in the back of your packet. If you look on this last page, there's a save the date. You will get details um, later, but once a month, we try to gather socially just out, um, and that's a fun thing to attend with your tables. That's also a fun thing to invite anybody who can't come on Thursday mornings, because they're like, wait, I work. Um, they can come to these monthly social spaces and get to kind of join and be a part of our community. We also have park days. A lot of the um, moms with kiddos who aren't in school enjoy that as an opportunity. So. There's a lot of different um, methods and ways that we accomplish what we're trying to. And again, you'll hear more and more about those throughout the weeks. <clears throat> okay, so let's go back to our mission. What do we want to do? So to intentionally nurture something implies that you're pouring effort into it, you're pouring energy into it. Last year, we had just a perfect example of this in that we tried to have real succulents on our table. <laughs> and they were not well nurtured. <laughs> and they did not survive. <laughs> so we have fake ones this year because Lord knows we're already nurturing plenty of things and we don't need to try to keep plants alive on our tables. <clears throat> um, but no, really, to nurture something is to pour your energy and your effort into it in order to make it thrive, in order to help it thrive. Um, and different things need different things to thrive, right? Like, um, well, I've already talked long enough. I don't even need that example. You know what I'm talking about. So how we're going to do that in our different relationships is what I want to spend our time talking about this morning. So first and foremost... This place here is intended to be a place where we are intentionally 
looking to nurture our relationship with God. We're looking to intentionally pursue growth and health in it. So what I'll say about that is we um, are not going to pretend here, like we're we're not pretending that we don't believe in God, (laughs) that we don't believe that he's real here. But what I want you to hear is that I actually believe everybody is in a totally different and progressing place as far as their belief, understanding, relationship with God. So please know that you don't have to be any specific place in your understanding of God. You can be completely curious. You can just be here because you want to ask questions. You can not know what you think about all this stuff, or you can have been in the church in these kind of Bible studies for 20, 30, 40 years. Everybody is on a journey in their relationship and understanding with God. We just think it's a valuable conversation to have. We think it's an important conversation and relationship to explore, pursue, ask questions about. And so you are welcome to be wherever you are on that journey. We want you here and just being real. And don't feel like you have to have any answers that don't come genuinely from your heart. Um, And you are free to think and ask whatever questions you have. We are just pursuing growth and a healthy relationship with that conversation about what do I think about God? What do I believe about God? Who is he? And what does that have to do with me? Um, So how we'll do that is we're going to be reading through 1 Corinthians. That's one of the ways that we're going to do that. And that brings us kind of to our first core value, which is um, here at Nurture, we hold a high value of God's word. And what I mean by that is that I don't believe, we don't believe that this is just a random book of a lot of good ideas and a lot of interesting stories. I actually believe that as people penned this book, God's breath was breathing through them to speak these words. I believe it's the inspired word of God. Um, And so what that means is that it holds power. It holds truth and something that is very, um, very much applicable and makes a difference as we read it and as we meditate on it and as we study it. Uh, Quite a few years ago now, we studied the book of Luke together, and Jesus, when he's talking about God's word and the gospel, he uses this analogy of comparing God's word to a seed that is planted in the ground, and it has the entire, if you think about a tiny little seed, it has the entire DNA of like a massive oak tree inside this tiny seed because there's literally DNA and life inside that seed. And when it's buried into the ground and when it's nurtured, right, with soil and water and sunlight, it springs forth life out of that seed into this whole huge tree that wasn't there before. It creates something new. It births something new. And Jesus, when he's telling that story, is comparing that to us reading the truths in the word of God, when they are buried inside of us, when we take time to nurture God's word, it births brand new life inside of us. It transforms us into something new. And so we hold a high view of God's word in that it's important and it's powerful and it is meant to be like engaged with and studied and asked questions and and wrapped our lives around the things that we explore and discover inside that word of God. So that's what I mean by we, we hold a high view of it. We think it matters. 
Um, <clears throat> Second Timothy 3.16 says, All scripture is breathed out by God and is useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness. But I want to tell you another thing that I mean by holding a high view of God's word. <clears throat> there are books and books and books and scholars and scholars of people who study this thing for their entire life. They are very smart, they are very kind, they are very godly people, and they vastly disagree on how to understand it all. So I dare not think that in here we are going to come to one conclusion about all of the nuances of scripture amongst ourselves and be able to say, oh, sorry, scholars for thousands of years or whatever. We figured it out, though. We're good. So when I say that, well, let me see. Okay, so from, from the earliest days, people have been trying to understand and hear from God and figure out what he means to say and what he has to say to us. And if you think about it, this is what I kind of demonstrated last year, and it's become really important to me in um, anchoring me back to my kind of humble view of my ability to, I do think that I have the spirit of God and have an ability to understand God's word. But um, if you look at the definition of a word, a word in the dictionary is a unit of language consisting of one or more sounds spoken that function as a principal carrier of meaning. So a word itself is actually a vessel to carry meaning. So when we say this is God's word, what we're saying is that the whole of it is a vessel intended to carry to us what God means when he says all sorts of things in it. So a word is God's principal carrier of meaning. Now with that in mind, I want to read you two verses out of John and 1 John. They're up there, but it's small, so I'll read it to you. <clears throat> John 1.1. 1, 1. In the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and the word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through him, and without him not anything not what was not anything made that was made and the word god's principal carrier of meaning became flesh and dwelt among us and we have now seen his glory first john 1 1 that which was from the beginning which we have heard which we have seen with our eyes which we have looked upon and have touched with our hands concerning the word of life the life was made manifest and we have seen and testified to it and proclaim to you the eternal life which was with the Father, and then was made manifest to us. So if Jesus is literally God's word, his principal carrier of meaning, wrapped in flesh, then if we, as we are studying God's written word, are ever unsure or unclear about what it means, we can look to the person of Jesus and the way that he lived his life and the way that he related and treated people, and we can take that as a rubric over which we kind of lay our intention or our interpretations of what scripture intends, because Jesus is God's principal carrier of God's heart communicated to the world. 
Does that make sense? So we hold a high view of God's word in that way too, where Jesus and his model is our highest interpreter of our written expression of God's intentions. All right? So we don't want to just be studiers of scripture and not imitators of Jesus. And Paul actually talks a ton about this in 1 Corinthians. Last year, I thought Romans had a lot tied to that. But oh my gosh, as I have studied 1 and 2 Corinthians this summer, it has so much to say about this. This, let's see, Paul in 1 Corinthians 13, even just right there on your bookmark, on your Bible verse, Paul says, if I speak in tongues of men and angels and have not love, I'm a noisy gong and a clanging cymbal. If I have prophetic powers and understand all the mysteries and have all the knowledge, if I just feel like I understand it all and can, you know, whatever, I'm going to use, anyway, if I feel like I, I get it all and I've studied it and I've... Um, taken apart scripture and I understand it all, but I don't have love, I am nothing. It does not matter. It will not carry power. Paul is describing the manner in which we hold scripture, use scripture, approach scripture, the way we teach, the way we posture ourselves towards other people. It's actually his main criticism towards the Corinthian people after he leaves, because just to set us up a little bit, and you'll get to hear more 1 Corinthians teachings the rest of the time, but um, he is writing to the church in Corinth because after he leaves them, he's been going around and he's been setting up lots of churches, right? And he's been teaching them, preaching the gospel to them, and then they've clustered in these faith communities. And then he moves on to go be a missionary and they stay behind and form a church. And when he leaves and moves on, he starts getting word back that there is just some stuff going on in the churches in Corinth that is so missing the point of what he intended. And one of those things is that other teachers have come in and they've picked up the gospel and maybe even like woven some other things in. But the thing is, they're like super eloquent, dynamic speakers. They're really educated. They're very well learned. They're very captivating to listen to. And so everybody's like, oh, geez, well, I really like how this teacher teaches. And I really like how this teacher teaches. And I like what this person has to say. And even actually, you guys, you remember Paul? He like wasn't even that good to listen to. He was kind of confusing and he said weird things. And so I'm actually going to be of this guy in this church. And the funny thing as I was reading that is, I'm so glad we're reading that right now because this is not a letter for the churches way back then. This sounds a lot like what we do today. And Paul writes them because he's hearing these attitudes pop up and he's like, whoa, you guys are so missing the point. And here's what he says in 1 Corinthians 4.14. Oh, not 2.1. I already read you that one. Or I didn't yet, but I'm going to. First, ignore the reference. Sorry. I do not write these things, he's talking about the letter he's writing them, he's already said some harsh things, to make you ashamed, but to admonish you as my beloved children. For though you have countless guides in Christ, there's a lot of people that are coming in and guiding them and teaching them, you don't have many fathers, he says. I have become your father in Christ Jesus through the gospel, and I'm urging you to be imitators of me. That's why I sent you Timothy, my beloved and faithful child in the Lord, to remind you of my ways in Christ as I teach them everywhere in the church. <clears throat> so that brings us to our second core value 
of who we want to be. And we are going to strive for humility and honor in all of our interactions with each other. Paul, clearly, as you read more and more of Corinthians, you will see he held a sober view of himself as he taught and as he led and wrote. And he is asking us to imitate him. 1 Corinthians 2.1 says, And when I came to you, brothers, I did not come proclaiming to you the testimony of God with lofty speech or wisdom, for I decided to know nothing among you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. I don't know about you guys, but I read that and I stared at it for a while because I honestly think that Sometimes in the church, we get all like, we like put a lot of value on being able to like stand firm in our convictions of where we stand on all the issues, right? And have I understood and made sure that I've read scripture and decided for sure what each of the different big doctrines of the faith, where I stand on all of them? Am I conservative? Am I liberal? You know, blah, blah, blah. I think if people came in here, if a teacher came in here and was like, you know what? I don't know. I don't really know. I know that Jesus was died on the cross for my sins. We'd be like, oh, well, he probably doesn't have a high view of God's word. He probably hasn't spent a lot of time. She probably hasn't spent a lot of time studying, right? And yet this is what Paul is saying here. I decided to know nothing except Jesus Christ and him crucified. And then he talks about his manner. And I was with you in weakness and in fear and much trembling in my speech and my message were not with implausible words of wisdom, but in demonstration, action of the spirit and of power so that your faith might not rest in the wisdom of men, but in the power of God. I think that's beautiful. And I think that is one of our main goals here. Um, he goes on to describe himself, um, but I'm going to kind of skip through. You'll read a lot of these verses in your time throughout the week. Um, but he's talking about the speakers, and he just said, this is how, or the teachers um, and the apostles, and this is, I think, the heart of anybody, because you're going to hear a lot of different women teach you throughout the year. Um, and I think I can speak for all of us in echoing Paul's words in 1 Corinthians 4.1. He says, this is how one should regard us as servants of Christ and stewards of the mysteries of God. I see myself as a steward that's carrying very carefully the mysteries of God, and they're allowed to be mysteries. But some of those mysteries, we get aha moments in, and they really change our lives, right? So if we're humbly seeking to imitate a sober view of ourselves before God, then we're not going to have any room to get all snippy with somebody else who has a different understanding or view of God. Um, and we're not going to have any room to not offer grace and humility in our interactions with each other, um, which takes us to kind of our other two relationships that we're going to be nurturing throughout this year, our relationship with ourselves and our relationships with other people. So um, I'm only going to talk for just a second about our relationship with ourselves. I think we'll get more into it as the weeks go on, but I think that one is the most confusing to some people, and so I want to touch on it because I don't think in all churches at least um, we maybe talk about this side so much. And I had a lot of questions our first year of, what does that even look like? What do you mean my relationship with myself? That sounds like weird. But <clears throat> what I mean is that if we're not able to look intentionally at ourselves, both at the way that God just made people in general, the way that people tend to function, and then also uniquely 
who we are as individuals, how we work, why we do the things that we do, what makes us mad and doesn't make somebody else mad, what makes us happy and doesn't make somebody else happy. If we're not able to look with intention at who we are uniquely, then we're going to be severely limited in the way that we can bring ourselves to relationship with God and with other people. We have to know and have kind of a self-reflective view of like, wait, I think I've got like some baggage here. I think I have some, you know, like unearthed pieces to why I behave the way that I behave. Or it doesn't even have to be negative. It's like, yeah, I'm going to own this side of me. I totally am this way. And it's okay that other people aren't. I don't have to expect other people to be exactly like me in order to honor and find value in them. Um, David Benner is a Christian author that I read last year, and I'm just going to read a couple quotes to you from him. He says, Christian spirituality involves a transformation of the self that occurs only when God and self are both deeply known. Both, therefore, have an important place in Christian spirituality. There is no deep knowing of God without a deep knowing of self, and no deep knowing of self without a deep knowing of God. He also says the self that begins the spiritual journey is the self of our own creation, the self we thought ourselves to be. But as you go on that spiritual journey and you get to know God more and you see who he made you and created you to be, I'm adding in, this is the self that dies on the journey. The self that arrives is the self that was loved into existence by divine love. This is the person we were destined from eternity to become, the I that is hidden in the I am. I really like that. And we're going to be spending time about once a month, especially, just really taking a look at ourselves um, and who God made us to be and how we are uniquely ourselves. Um, and then with others. And this is where our Anchor and Apply is also going to come in a lot. Um, this year especially, our theme is um, each month we're going to approach a different relationship that we might find ourselves in. Friendship, marriage, parenting, neighbors, people in our lives that have suffered loss or great pain. Um, those different kinds of relationships need different things and affect us different ways. And so we're going to look at those um, and see, like I said, the question we're going to be asking, how might love best express itself in this situation? Um, I think this is one of Paul's main goals throughout the entire book of Corinthians, he's bringing up, if, as you read, he's bringing up scenario after scenario that's going on amongst that group of people, and he's addressing it. And I think, and he's saying, this is not how it's supposed to work in God's kingdom amongst God's people. This wasn't the intention. And unfortunately, I think sometimes we take First Corinthians, those of us who've been in the church a long time and read and been trained up in different ways um, to interpret scripture different ways, I think that we have looked at 1 Corinthians as kind of like a guidebook of like, all right, in this scenario, when this happens in the church, what should I do and not do? How do I handle and treat these people in this situation? But I think as we study this year and as I've looked more this summer, I think it's much more a guide on how to be and not be. And there is a difference between that. So um, that's why we've titled our study this year the most excellent way because the question that I want us to be asking constantly is what is the most excellent way to regard this person how do I regard them with love how do I handle this situation in the most excellent way as laid out in first Corinthians um 
each week when we meet here, so that's a lot of relationships out there and a lot of relationships in here, but even when we meet in here, I want you to understand that we're coming together not to execute something that we have already mastered, but that this is like soccer practice. <laughs> we are coming here to practice loving each other well. Expect it to be hard. You will be in relationship with 100 people in this room all year long. Expect it to be hard. Even the very idea of nurturing something suggests that it's fragile and that it needs like tenderness and care and intentionality. So we have these Thursday mornings blocked out as like soccer practice for coming here and loving a whole bunch of people who are very different from each other. So show up expecting to have to work at it. Show up expecting to push yourself to see other people and to let yourself be seen. Um, and that's how we kind of build community. Brene Brown um, says that the definition of connection, she defines connection like this, the energy that exists between people when they feel seen, heard, and valued. So this is our goal here, that we would see people, that we would hear people, that we would let them know that they're valued, and that, that we would also do the same thing, where we would let ourselves fully be seen. She says, um, I like this quote, she says, fitting in and belonging are not the same thing. In fact, fitting in gets in the way of belonging because fitting in is about assessing a situation and becoming who you think you need to be to be accepted. Belonging, on the other hand, doesn't require us to change who we are. It just requires us to be who we are. And I think that if you think about it, you can probably all think of scenarios where you come into a situation and your antennas are up and you're reading the room and you're like, oh, I'm not these type of people. <laughs> I either am not coming, or if you're like a little bit more of an outgoing or a chameleon type personality, I don't say that in a like derogatory way, but like if you're kind of adaptive in your personality and you're like, all right, well, here is the bubbly room and I will be the bubbly person in this room because that's who these people are and I will fit in in that way. That is actually a gift I think some people's personalities can really do and make people feel very comfortable. But I'm just asking you to think of those scenarios and like where you're walking in and you're just assessing who do I need to be if I want to be here. And that is not this place because that is about fitting in. And here we belong because we actually bring who we really are to the table and we are committed to honoring each other as we show each other ourselves. So that brings us to our third value, which I'm gonna say really, really quick. We bring our veriness to this community and the term veriness is not um, an official term. It's one we made up. Actually, Ryan made it up and I stole it from him a couple years ago in a message that he did where he was talking about loving the Lord our God with all of our heart, soul, strength, and might or whatever. Um, might in that word, in that way that it's being used in that scripture is like, I'm bringing what makes me uniquely me. I am bringing the veriness of me because everybody has these like unique things. Like some of my friends here are uniquely so organized <laughs> and gifted and like on top of things and that is not me. And some of you are like the most patient and precious mamas ever. And that is not me. <laughs> and some of you are so artistic and so talented and you love beautiful things. And some of you make amazing hot breakfasts and you think that's a gift and a blessing and you like to do it. And I don't understand you, but I love you and I'm so thankful for you. There are like, and there's like 
the, you know, like stereotypical ones, like I just named like the top ones off your head, but there's so many things inside of us that genuinely you're just like, yeah, I think I was just born this way. I just like this. It's life-giving to me. And everybody is different in those. And if we commit to bringing those here, we will be so blessed in this community. So I will challenge you, chances are, if throughout the year you're sitting there and at some point you go, you know what they should totally do? They should totally have this. At my old church, they had this, and it was so awesome, and I loved it. And so they should just totally do that here. I don't know why they didn't, but maybe, I don't know. My suggestion for you is that probably that's your veriness that you should bring to this community, and we would love to have you bring it. Um, I will also say, as people bring and express who they are, we honor that by seeing it and valuing it. So... Um, not everybody has to take huge joy and love the things, like not everything's gonna be your bent, it's not gonna be your flavor, not everything that we do in here is gonna be your favorite part of nurture. It's gonna be the part that you're like, I don't really get this, some of the women really seem to like this, I don't really understand it, it's not my jam. That's okay, drink some more coffee. It'll be over in like 20 minutes, I promise. And then you will get to one of your other favorite parts of it. But that's somebody's favorite part. It's somebody's veriness. And so we're seeking to have a good rhythm and like mix of all of that for people. Um, okay. I'm going to wrap up with 1 Corinthians 12, 12. And I'm going to read it to you. And the funny thing is, last year, I wrapped up with Romans 12. And I was like, you guys... I can't believe this is in the, the book that we're actually going to be studying. It is so on point for what we're talking about. And then all of a sudden now, I'm like, oh, you guys, 1 Corinthians 12 is also so on point for what I was just talking about. So if you could, I, it's up there on the screen, but if you could close your eyes, I'm going to read it over you. And I want you to picture this as one of our charges this year. 1 Corinthians 12, 12. For just as the body is one and has many members, and all the members of the body, though many, are one body, so it is with Christ. For the body does not consist of one member, but of many. If the foot should say, because I'm not a hand, I don't belong to the body, that wouldn't actually make it any less a part of the body. And if the ear should say, well, because I'm not an eye, I don't belong to the body, that also wouldn't make it any less a part of the body. If the whole body were an eye, where would the sense of hearing be? If the whole body were an ear, where would be the sense of smell? But as it is, God arranged the members in the body, each one of them, as he chose. If all were a single member, where would the body be? As it is, there are many parts, yet one body. The eye cannot say to the hand, I have no need of you, nor again the head cannot say to the feet, I have no need of you. God, as we uh, go into this time of worship, I pray that you would um, just speak to us, meet with us, and again, I just am so thankful for the ability to gather here this morning. It's in your name we pray. Amen.